Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous. This is the podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Episode 26. We have a couple special guests with us today. Daniel, who was here two episodes ago, made it back. And Drew, our good buddy from the store. Hello. All right. So real quick before we jump in, we have a couple of announcements and corrections even. Uh, <laughs> well, first, we wanted to send a shout out to our good friends, Dan and Kim. Um, they recently got engaged at PAX East with a little help from our friend uh, Kobe from Plathead Games. And we just want to send our blessings and love to them and hope they have a great, wonderful life together. Absolutely. And congratulations. Um, it was really cute. And uh, this is, you know, it's, it's big news for us. It's big news for everybody we know here in Staten Island. And it's, it's very exciting. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So less happier news. Um, I made a mistake on the last podcast. What? Exactly. You? It happens. No. <laughs> Why? I was 100% certain that Splendor was a Reiner Nietzsche game. I don't know why I thought that, but it's not. It's uh, Mark andre And so uh, one of our listeners, Todd on Board Game Geek, he pointed that out to me. Thank you, Todd. I went ahead and fixed it. So you can't see the error anymore, but everybody who downloaded it before that, error. Fixed. They will know. <laughs> Good catch, Todd. Yeah. You undermined the journalistic credibility of this entire program. Exactly. What you did. I think we all should walk off now. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Let's all stop off. Uh, I was at work when I got the message, and I was like, oh, i got to fix it right now. And I'm like, I really don't have to fix this right now. <laughs> no, in, in this industry, you get a re-roll. That's, this is your re-roll. <laughs> but not for nothing, that's a really credit to the game that it felt that way to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's an awesome game, so you should pick it up. Mark andre fantastic job on this game. Yeah, maybe, please. May, maybe the designer had Kinesi in mind when he created the game. Maybe. You know. I, I feel like I must have read or listened to this somewhere, so maybe someone else made an error. Uh, <laughs> they need to correct their error so that people like me don't continue to make said errors. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that was last podcast. Um, other news, uh, if you even remotely like anything WizKids, then this last week you've probably run into the, uh, um, the gauntlet of trying to find the Dice Master starter kit. Um, let me assure you, you're not alone. This is not the fault of your local game store. This is WizKids not producing enough copies of this game. Um, so I've been to, I think, three or four game stores in the last week or so. Uh, I was actually in Harrisburg for a work trip a couple days ago and stopped by a local store there, and they said the exact same thing that our local Myriad said and that Complete Strategy said in the city is just they didn't send us any. So <laughs> Yes, WizKid put out a public announcement because a lot of people were concerned that their local game stores or local areas was not being um, supplied fairly enough. So they actually answered a, a number of questions about why there's been delays in the stock, where are the, where are the items going. And it wasn't just the dice game. It was also Star Trek Attack Wing. It was also WizKids, um, the Hero Clicks. So all of the OP events were pushed back a month. You may remember in previous podcasts we were talking about how everything was delayed. And obviously the anticipation of this game has been so tremendous and people have been ravenous about it and it just just been limited copies everywhere so if you were one of the few lucky people to get your hands on it that's great but probably no one can play with you because no one else has a copy of the game <laughs> yeah and uh just be patient they say they'll have copies next month so do not spend 50 dollars on ebay there's yeah, no reason for it don't do that <laughs> no. it's just dice and cards man 
Um, boosters are everywhere. I picked up some boosters. I have a few cards here in front of us. Dice look like Warriors dice. Um, cards look like Heroclix cards. <laughs> They're even all bent. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it should be an interesting game when everybody gets it out. Um, you know, just be a little patient. Be out next month. And I've seen that online, too, where people are talking about the quality of the components just being very poor. So I know we usually you get a game and you try to play through it once or twice and, and see if you like it. Um, I've even heard when you play with the cards at least once, if you handle them enough, they actually start to warp a little bit. So if this is going to be an investment for you, I would sleeve the cards right away, just, just for safety concerns. And not just materials, some of the component design looks off to me. So when you look at the playmat... It, it looks like the kind of diagram you see in like a first year student when they're doing like a, a PowerPoint presentation. There's just <laughs> arrows going everywhere. There's no clear division between regions. And it, it makes me worry about how carefully the game may have been designed. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't played it. None of us have played it, so we can't talk about that yet. But uh, um, I know it's based on Quarriors. The dice look exactly like Quarriors dice. Quarriors is a solidly designed game. So mm-hmm. it's... It's just the usual WizKids component issues, so we'll see what the game's like. Maybe if I can get my hands on it soon, we'll review it, Um, and when it's back in the stores, we'll definitely talk about it. Next up, let's talk about some of the games that we want to pick up or play, Uh, other than Dice Masters, which nobody can pick up or play. (laughs) So Uh so everyone's safe from the addiction at least a little while longer. (laughs) Acquisition Disorder Corner. So what kind of games are, are on your radar right now that you want to pick up? For me, Freedom. Um, got a chance to play it once. Um, a buddy of mine owns the game. Uh, Freedom is a great cooperative game in the, the family of Pandemic, where as soon as you open the box and lay out the board, the, the pressure's on, the tension's there. But the stakes are even higher because Freedom is based on um, the underground, uh, freedom, underground uh, railroad movement. Uh, back in the 1800s. You're creating the feel, the atmosphere of trying to get these slaves to freedom. Um, Yes, you have little wooden meeples that seem very abstract, but the pressure when I played it was, these are real people, you got to get them to freedom. So the stress is there, the tension level is there. It's a cooperative game. You're not playing against any one player. You're just trying to get as many people uh, to freedom as possible. Uh, very exciting because uh, all the guys are all all the people are in plantations down south. It's the map of basic your basic Civil War map, Eastern United States, and you're trying to get them from point to point to Canada, um, and you're trying to outwit various slave uh, slavers who are trying to recapture them, and put them back. So very tense, very exciting. Um, we managed to win our game, but you know it makes you review your uh, opinion of the phrase acceptable losses because you know when you're dealing with human life there are no acceptable losses so even though the game allows you to quote lose some uh, some slaves the stress is there to try and save every single one if possible very tense very exciting game great yeah i'm looking forward to picking that up too i hear great things about it it's actually like it not only does it it feels like you, you actually not only does it feel like you're actually part of that, you know, situation to save mm. them, but you do really feel that emotional kind of impact when you lose them yeah. along the way. And it's just, it's an interesting kind of experience for a board game. I put on the level of pandemic, even though pandemic is sort of symbolic, you're just dealing with little infection cubes. 
whereas the pieces in Freedom are human beings. Mm. So much, much different. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this in the last know, month or so. Um, and it's almost always the same kind of review. It's just, it's tense. You're going to lose a lot, but you take it more emotionally than you would a game like yeah. Pandemic. Um, and I've ever even heard people saying, like, on other podcasts, talking about, like, this could be a good teaching tool in schools. Everything's very historically accurate. Possibly, yeah. Um, Possibly. It really makes you feel like what was involved and why it's so important to learn about this. So I, I recommend everybody look for a copy and buy one. Please, though, don't buy the last copy because I haven't gotten mine yet. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so on another side, uh, Daniel and I were looking at Among the Stars, which is a um, kind of a car drafting a la Seven Wonders, but you're actually building a space station. And this is actually on Kickstarter right now. Uh, well, I mean, I've not had time to look over it as detailed as I'd like to, but I was walking through some of the videos, and it looks like a, a really well-designed uh, game. The art is beautiful, the layout is wonderful, it's very modular, it's very flexible, and it looks like, while there are several mechanics going on at the same time, almost everything you need to know about how to play the game while you're playing it is going to be on the table in front of you, clear and easy as you know they're clear as day right and that means a lot to me right it's well it's a sign of just careful design through and through so i am very excited to see this game when it comes out now this game actually has had multiple kickstarters to kind of get it out to the public and now for the first time they recently announced that um our friend Stephen bonacore from stronghold games will actually be distributing this game in the u.s and the designer has asked at least a North American audience to wait for this game to get to him so that he we can support him producing the game in the US and I think they were saying something along the lines of a 30% discount I guess so that it matches the Kickstarter prices and benefits I spoke to the, the designer on Board Game Geek because I wanted to make sure that if I go ahead and get it from Stronghold I'm not going to miss out on any of the additional components and he assured me that all the components would be boxed in such a way that you could pick those up additionally. Now, I don't know if there's going to be like, you know, maybe you don't get a good card here or there's, you know, maybe it's a dollar here or a dollar there. But it seems like they're making a really conservative effort to have a grand release in the U.S. And hopefully we'll be able to get this to the table. So one thing I do wonder is, do you know if they're going to have the uh, the add-ons you can get, not the stretch goals, but the add-ons you could, add, you could pay for on Kickstarter? Because they had some really well-designed add-ons which looked very attractive and, and appealed to me things like uh redone versions of the coin coins actual metal coins and that sort of thing do you know that's what they were saying that oh. everything that was on the kickstarter would be boxed up in in such a way that it would be available in a release now like i said i'm not sure that's what he he told me i'm not sure how that works out as far as financially is it do you save a couple of bucks by going the kickstarter or do you save a couple of bucks by waiting for stronghold to have it um, but it seems like everything would be available. It's a little tricky. If you look at Kickstarter and you look and you look up this game, it's had so many Kickstarter releases that it's, it's hard to track all the additional cards and races and tokens that come along with it. But fingers crossed that everything will be there. So looking forward to kind of playing that because I'm a big fan of Seven Wonders and I love the sci-fi theme and building a um, space station a la Babylon 5 or Deep Space Nine would be great. Yeah, yeah, it looks really interesting. Um, it's popped up on my radar a few times. It's just been one of those, like, how do I actually get this game? It's it's pretty cool now that it sounds like it'll be fairly easy for everybody to find it in the very near future. Um, for me, um, 
I don't know if there's anything like super giant like dragging my attention. I would like to get a copy of this Dice Master starter kit. <laughs> you and everybody else. Let it, let it go, Anthony. Let it go. No, but it's it's out and it's in front of me and I can't play it. <laughs> I have the dice. Um, Make up your own game now. You've got the dice. So. Right, right. Uh, they actually do have a print in place. So maybe I'll print it out. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Also picked up a copy of Power Grid the other day. Uh, this has been a game that's been kind of on my radar a little for a long time, but I've never actually played it. And uh, actually, my wife has a friend from high school who um, her and her husband play Power Grid all the time. So I was like, oh, well, <laughs> it's not a it's not a non-gamer's game, but if we have an endorsement from a non-gamer, maybe I can get that out at home. Um, <laughs> but uh, we picked that up at, um, Chris and I actually both grabbed copies. Barnes & Noble had their quarterly clearance sale, so... Was it fifty percent off? It was fifty percent off. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, it's actually still running for the for the foreseeable future. So if you have a Barnes and Nobles in your area, it would be a great opportunity because what happens is every as as Anthony would say every about quarter they pick a certain number of board games that go you know kind of get thrown in the re, the clearance bin with just random other yeah, things. Yeah. So I think this time it was Puerto Rico, Power Grid, Castles of Burgundy. And I think there was a couple other smaller. There was the Lord of the Rings deck builder game. The DC um, deck builder, too. Yeah. Now, the, the issue tends to be that depending on the Barnes & Noble that you go into, they may either have this marked correctly and in the clearance bin hmm. or have it on the shelf, not know anything about it. And then when you bring it to the register, you're like, hey, this is on clearance. And they look at you like you're crazy and you're just trying to steal games out from underneath them. And even sometimes when it when I went in, they had to, they had the red sticker on Power Grid. And I'm like, I know this is on sale. There's been 6,000 comments on Board Game Geek. And I know it's other places. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I have to call a manager. And we need to call a second manager. And we need to go online. And it's not in our system. you got to come back tomorrow. So... There's been a little bit of a challenge with it, but it's really hard to argue with 50% off plus an additional 10 if you have the Barnes & Noble card. And so every once in a while, I think it's like spring and then fall and then Christmas or so, usually around the holidays when they try to get rid of the holiday stuff. Once in a while, you might find a good deal. So check it out. Yeah, well, yeah. I love trolling the bargain bins there. I got a set of uh, Tim Burton uh, statuettes. Wow, time nice. there, good deal at a real cheap price. Um, so it's not just board games, all sorts of interesting stuff. And if you want to know when these deals are happening, say Barnes and Noble is forty minutes from your house, uh, just hop on Board Game Geek because there's the hot deal section on the forums there, and it's usually when it happens, it's the top thread for like six weeks because everybody's camping it. This is the best deals you're ever going to get on board games when they do happen. So. Um, and it's really nice because the board game community, what's really funny is they'll, everybody will go on there and say, hey, I went to this store, I picked up this, that, and the other, but they still have these games. So if you live in that area, you're like, oh, they still have those games. That's awesome of you, dude. I'm going to go down there. And every once in a while, too, you hear people talking about, oh, I got this. Could you pick this up for me? Mm. Which is really nice. They don't even know each other, but they happen to live in the same area, and he gets the game and you know and such, so... Nice job, BBG community. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. So that'll be something I play in the next couple of weeks. It's Power Grid. Um, but that, that dice, um, I guess Attack Wing, which I'm going to blame on uh, uh, our buddies at uh, PAX for giving me free stuff. <laughs> so, so now I pick up the starter kit, and I just picked up like the toolkits from uh, Lowe's today to store everything. The first, the, first <laughs> hit, the first hit, it's always free. You know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It's like, here, here's a free ship. What am I going to do with this? Nah, it's fine. Just take it home. I guess I need the base set. I guess I need a storage solution. I guess I need the next wave. I guess I need all those cards. Why? Why? <laughs> no! <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, that's the acquisition of sorters. Next up, let us talk about the games we have been playing. At the table this week. So, Drew, what's been hitting the table for you? For me, I've been playing Cold Baron lately. R&R Games. Uh, produce a great worker placement uh, game that if you like Lords of Waterdeep, you'll love this also. Um, the components, <laughs> you guys were talking about the elevator when I showed it to you. The cardboard components uh, actually are one of the weaker parts. The, the cardboard warps, um, those little mineshaft uh, components, they're, um, they're sort of warped, and the, the tiles of the mine rooms are warped. So not the best job of putting a game together, but the concept, worker placement concept's great. Uh, in Cold Baron, you have like 25 different actions that you can do. So you're given, in a, a four-player game, 13 workers. So more workers, everything's on the table, except when one person, another player, chooses an action, places one worker, then you've got to place two workers if you want to do the same, the same action. So that's why husbanding your, your workers is very important. It's a fun game uh, because of that. Everyone who's played it uh, with me uh, enjoys that. High scoring, we're all in the 90s, but there are a lot of different ways of of scoring um you score based on the coal that you mine you score based on how you ship it uh you score based on um what kind of coal you dig and where you place it in the mine lots of different ways um F feld fold what's the guy's name feld? Stefan, feld? Stefan, feld. Stefan feld yeah um it's it's like his games in that sense where it's just you're racking up the score it's like a point salad you kind of yeah you get points for everything yeah and that's what this is. That's so fun. think of Lords of Waterdeep as designed by Stefan Feld. And there you go. That's a good pitch. That's a, I like that. <laughs> at least for this crew. <laughs> Some people would run away screaming. Like, no! <laughs> no, but the fact that you have so many choices. Uh, and there's no analysis paralysis. Um, the game moves very quickly because there's always something else you can do. If you just don't have enough workers left, well, you have to choose something less. Um, like with money. You can choose to get $6. Uh, you can choose to get 5 4 3 So there's always something available and um, different actions, different minds. Um, you, got, you always have to make sure, though, that you, when the shift ends, when the round ends, that you have enough workers left to complete your shipments or you're not going to get victory points for it. So you're looking ahead. And there's a high um, stomp on your neighbor thing, too, because you know exactly what everybody's working on and you can grab an action before the other person does because then they have to pay more workers to do the same action. So it's... Uh, very interactive, very fast moving, very high scoring. It looked like a lot of fun. You pulled it out and we're showing it to us. Yeah, um, yeah. That little elevator. That was that was pretty cool <laughs> little like component. That. It made me extremely excited. You, you have a, a, a cardboard, a long cardboard elevator piece with the middle punched out, and they give you this little rectangle, this elevator rectangle that you slide up and down the, the hole in the middle. The shaft goes down. The, the mine shaft, and these guys get a kick out of that for some Because reason. we're five. <laughs> <laughs> we review puzzles. <laughs> it's a great game for the inner child in all of you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but it does look like a lot of fun. I want to try it out. The inner child that wants to be a coal baron. <laughs> coal baron by R and R Games. Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling. All right. 
I have Buccaneer Bones. Now, this was a game I kickstarted a while back and was looking forward to getting it and was kind of worried because I didn't get it and was stressing that it didn't show up and then it finally showed. And what was interesting about this game, to be honest with you, was the price. It was $9. Wow. And the it came with all these additional extras. So it's a two to four player game and it's kind of a micro game. So you get this small card that's basically made up of six different pets that you can take from one from one island to another and you have these little ship pieces that start on your main island and then based upon the roll of the die if you get two of a kind or three of a kind you get to move the ship forward i had the opportunity to play this with george and it was a lot of fun it's a really quick game this is literally a five to ten minute game tops because you're rolling so many die that it actually moves the ships really quickly and if you do get to the other side of the island which is only three spaces away and and i should mention that if you roll three of a kind you move directly to the island that you'll be able to get a special power roll three of a kind again or the two of the kind to move your ship back and it obviously needs to match the pips because there's six rows with six pip Hmm. matching um and you move back and you you claim a goal so you have these little gold tokens with a little treasure chest on them and it's only a it's only three gold to win the game now you also have this little token for the first mate which allows you to try to steal away a goal or get a special action it's really quick it's really simple it came with a nice little bag that kind of pulls up to put the game in it came with an expansion that moved it up to six players it actually even came with a big kind of carryall bag with the big buccaneer bones skull on it it's a fun quick game this will be hitting the stores pretty soon um i'm figuring since i paid about nine dollars for it you'll probably pay maybe between seven and ten i mean probably online and probably even be cheaper it's fun it's simple it really does play quickly and the components are decent quality for the price the dice are nice they have a little skull for the one for the one pip and definitely worth a pickup so i would give this game a buy awesome you're gonna get your money's worth out of it definitely Definitely. yeah yeah um in terms of micros any like do you have any other games that this would replace i don't think so i think that's the one unique thing about this game since it is you know usually the micros are the ones we've been seeing recently are either a basic card game a la love letter or one of those area control games where you're putting down like loose change to kind of control areas. This is a dice rolling one where the dice kind of determine your movement. So I haven't seen anything like it. So I think it's going to kind of take a place, you know, a really, really light filler or something to play with family or friends. Just be like, hey, I know you don't play hobby games, but we can play this game in 10 minutes and you can get an idea mm-hmm. of what the yeah. kind of mechanic goes with it. And the dice have a Yahtzee mechanic, which is always nice. Which is great, because it's an easy entry for It's people. a simple entry. You can right. play this with kids. Awesome. Uh, recently, I, I picked up Gravwell, and that's been one of my favorite games to play since I've purchased it. Uh, it's What's Grabwell? Gravwell. Grav. Like gravity well. Ah, uh, it's it. put out by a new designer named Corey Young. It's his first game, and it's published by Cryptozoic. Uh, the components are uh, all very high quality. Everything is well designed, and I find it very attractive, uh, though relatively simplistic at points, which is nice. Um, the at its core, it is a racing game, uh, and one to four players are in the singularity and trying to get their way out. But what makes Gravwell unique is that the types of movement cards you play, they're not 
go forward, stop this guy. It's go with gravity, go against gravity, and pull everyone in towards you. And where gravity is, is influenced by the relative position of all other players, as well as two derelict vessels that are floating in, in empty space. So if you play a go with gravity card, and the nearest ship to you is in front of you, that is where the gravitational pull will be the strongest, so you move forwards. But if for some reason they end up slipping behind you before your card is resolved, now gravity is pulling you backwards, and all of that forward movement you would have had turns into backward movement, back towards the heart of the singularity and away from the safe exit. Now, to complicate things further, every card has not just a type of movement, as well as a magnitude of movement, it also has a letter associated with it. In fact, they're, they're chemical elements. And cards resolve in alphabetical order. So what happens is you all play your card face down, flip them face up, and you go in alphabetical order to determine movement. And this means things like if you are at the very front, gravity is always going to be pulling you backwards, so you need to play against the, the pull of gravity. But let's say you play against the pull of gravity, and someone else resolves their card before you and lands right in front of you. Well, now you're moving against the pull of gravity, which was just for a moment pulling you forward, and so you slingshot backwards. <laughs> and so the game becomes a very complex matter of figuring out where the force of gravity is going to be located for you at the end of, or before your card resolves, right? So uh, where gravity is going to be for you before your card resolves. So it's a lot of trying to guess what other people are going to do. There's a lot of opportunities to screw other people over in very innovative ways <laughs> by maybe slipping behind them, right? So one, the, the game I played, one of my favorite games I played with this was all three of, uh, three of the four people made it out and the fourth person got screwed. But there was a point where someone was about to launch forward and uh, win by playing a against gravity card. Uh, no, sorry, by playing playing a with gravity card, right, they were going to slingshot around me. So I played a, a, a with gravity card that resolved very early and had a slight movement backwards. So instead of being in front of them, I stepped right behind them and their with gravity card slingshot them backwards. Uh, uh, and the ultimate moment was all four of us launched forward, sort of slingshotting one another until the last person uh, had to resolve their card, and they would have gone forward because it was with gravity, but all the other ships had exited the system except for the two derelict vessels, which were floating way back. <laughs> and so all three of us got away, and he got pulled back in. Is this is this a cooperative game, or does it have cooperative elements? It does not have cooperative elements, but it can tolerate more than one player winning at the same time. Oh, so cosmic encounter -y. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Tiebreakers? Uh, no. Just, you know, okay. Like, as far as I know, anyway. I, I, but the ideal is you get out alive and you screw everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you have to do to get out. Do what you yeah. have to do to get out. Got it's it. a really quick game to learn. It sounds like there's a lot going on, and there is, but the mechanics are all very simple, very straightforward, and it's it's just a ton of fun. It is a strong buy, and I, yeah. All right. Awesome. I've seen it around the store a bit, and I, I thought it was interesting because it's cryptozoic, but there's no IP. So that caught my attention first. I'm like, how strong of a game must it be for them to publish it with no IP attached? Um, but also, it's making use of that gravity mechanic. That sounded really cool to me. Yeah. 
That makes me think of um, I, I, everyone should know that I'm the senior member of this crew. Uh, I've got a long history in board games, but there was uh, back in the time when they were starting to put a graphical interface on mainframes, big old mainframes. Um, I saw this show where they were talking about a an early video game. Um, they created of two, you get two sides, two people with ships, and in the middle is a black hole, and you're trying to fight each other around this black hole. You're, you're trying to play the game and avoid the gravity at the same time, which looked exciting. It's never been repeated in many games, and it, this sounds like a great way of taking that dynamic and putting it on board um, because it, it adds a whole new level. Yeah, it, I mean, it really is just uh, an absolutely wonderful game. It's not very expensive either. Um, it's like thirty five, right? Yeah, it's about thirty five dollars. The uh, the art and the graphic design is a little plain, though, right? I think I've seen the the box in the back. It's kind of very simplistic. It's which is not it, bad. It's simple, but it's thematic and consistent. Okay. So yeah. I actually so at first like, it was kind of simple, right? There's not a lot lot happening in the background, and the cards are all just sort of color coded and that, but they're all you know clearly laid out. And I can see the sort of aesthetic vision that influenced the design. It's not complicated, but it tells you what the game is about. It fits the matter very well. And the, the little ships that come with it are very high quality and they're pretty pretty detailed for essentially... An abstract kind yeah, of game. Meeples, right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Looking at the board, I mean, it looks like you can just lay it out on a table of some maybe some newer players and they won't be intimidated by it. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, I can play this. Yeah, and, it, and it's attractive, right? It's simple but attractive and that spiral pattern, it's, yeah. it's, it's very... Yeah. Appealing. We should do a quick video. It's it's very abstract describing it, but like yeah. we can maybe show people exactly how this looks because it, like Drew says, it does look very simple. But then you describe the mechanics, and it's kind of hard to visualize exactly how that works. Absolutely. Well, I'd be so, glad to do that. Yeah, because I know you have it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so one more game I wanted to talk about real quick, and we talked about this a little bit last time because uh, we saw it at PAX. Uh, Chris actually went ahead and picked it up, and it is called What the Food, um, and this was. Uh, the designer, we met with him, his name is Peter Vaughn. Um, his company is Squirmy Beast, Inc. And uh, they were he was actually at the um, on the board game floor at PAX showing the game. He showed us how to play. And uh, it's, it's a really unique, um, kind of fun, almost party-style game. But, I mean, the first thing for me that really captures my attention is the graphic design. Um, that was, like, when I saw it just sitting on the table, that's why I wanted to play. It's just, like... It's very cute, very well-drawn um, characters. They all have a lot of personality to them. And then the uh, even the cards um, with the different types of food on them are very well-drawn. It's not... It could be very abstract. It could have been very simple. Um, there are a few other games, not similar in mechanics, but similar in theme, that are a little crude, um, the way they're drawn out. And this one is... It's very fun. It's very... It, it looks like you're in a school. So the theme of the game, then, basically, you know, you could probably guess it from the title is food fight Food fight. Uh, <laughs> so it's you're in the cafeteria and everybody's throwing food at each other and it's everybody will acquire these little red tokens and when you reach a certain number that means you get caught you're the one who takes the fall so you're trying not to get to 10 basically the first person who hits 10 at the end of a round oh, loses okay. um so at the beginning of the game, everybody's going to get a character card. Each of these characters uh, kind of fits with some high school stereotype. Um, they each have their own special power, too. So there's the flirt, there's the uh, obese Denise, there's Smug Doug, who's like the football star, um, Spinny Guinea, who's uh, 
cheerleader. Um, Wayne Payne is the, of course, the uh, the bully. Um, there is Dr. Floyd is the science nerd. Um, there's also a really cute one that I thought was great, and it's the shark, but it's uh, it's modeled after the designer's son in a shark costume. For, has nothing to do with high school. It's just it's really cute. It's the old Saturday Night Live land shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so each of these characters has like a special action that they get, and there's the three basic actions you'll get at the beginning of the game. Um, one is to throw, one is to pick up, and the other one is to dodge. And then you'll get your fourth action, uh, which is whatever your special character is. Uh, at the beginning of each turn, everybody is going to point their target card at somebody else, so who they're going to be throwing at. And then you're going to choose an action card, and well, you're going to choose three actions. You're going to play them in order, and then, uh, but it's all hidden from everybody. And then each time there's a turn, you'll all flip one, and you'll resolve them in order, depending on... Um, what, what action you chose. So you resolve these in order. Um, if you duck before somebody can throw at you, they're not going to hit you, but then there are some throws that will hit you anyways. Um, there are cards in the middle that everybody can run and grab. There are food or toppings or conditions, and then these kind of chain together. So any one food is worth one point. You hit somebody with it, they take one little token. If you have topping on the food, uh, it's another point, so it's two points. You throw in um, the third one, a condition, which is usually something like moldy or wet or soggy, something gross. Tax on another two points, and then that's considered a full combo. So you hit them for four points, um, which out of ten is a lot. So if you hit them for the full four, you're, you're dealing some serious damage. Um, and then you actually get to remove some of your own tokens. So it's a lot of fun. It's pretty simple. I mean, we played... We played with three, and he said that three is not ideal because then you know everybody just kind of targets each other in a circle. But it plays up to I think eight, um, and so you can it can get really chaotic because you're trying to manage everybody and you're trying to see who you're going to hit, um, and trying to constantly counting see how many tokens everybody has, uh, and you're just trying to stay lower because you don't want to be the first one out. Um, so it's a lot of fun like that. It's very simple. It's very quick. You could probably teach this you know, to kids easily. They'd love it. I was going to say, very graphical. The cards, they could pick that up even without uh, strong reading skills. And he was telling us this was an artist from Disney, actually, huh. that he that had done the artwork. And what's really unique about it is the character cards are beautiful. The event cards are really nice. The food cards, as Anthony was saying, are really well designed and fun. And then even the action cards, which he mentioned could have just been a plain stick figure... Is actually a really cute kind of almost Pixar-esque kind of like animation with their mascot, the Bumblebee. So while you're playing this game, you're having a lot of fun. It just it just creates a smile because you're looking at all these characters, and it's really innocent and fun as far as you're throwing the food back and forth at each other. The design is just evocative and thematic throughout. I mean, I've not seen this game until right now, but I already want to own it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, artist Jean-Sebastien Duclos um, worked on Kung Fu Panda. Say it's according to Board Game Geek. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, I kind of see it. Kung Fu Panda? They are. Yeah, the tuckies of yeah. that style. Yeah, he's definitely a pro. And, uh, you know, like we said, we played with Peter Vaughn, um, who designed the game. And I think by Sunday when we were leaving PAX, there were none left. So... Like, he sold this thing out. Including the zombie edition? Because I saw that that was... Uh... Yes, I have the zombie edition with it, too. haven't got a chance to break that out yet, but we will definitely talk about that in a future podcast. And he was even nice enough to offer some additional cards that came with the Kickstarter, because this was, this was originally Kickstarted, 
And it's when this hits stores, you should be picking this up because, once again, it's another game that plays with a wide range of people. The artwork is tremendous. The graphic design is nice. The card quality is good. And it plays up to eight people. So not many games actually do that. And as excited as I was about that little elevator in Colbert, and <laughs> there is a tiny plastic hamburger here. <laughs> and, and that has just made my day. <laughs> now I want it. I mean... You're just going to steal it, right? Yeah, I'm just going to... Aw. You're vegetarian. It's, fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a veggie burger in my collection. I <laughs> uh, see you don't want the veggie burger. Um, yeah, this game's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, if, if you hadn't picked it up, I probably would have. That's how much fun we had. Yeah. But. So this definitely will be hitting the table a lot more, as long with uh, moldy butter scotch cream pie dipping with nacho cheese. Because you got to watch out for that. Yeah, you kind of have to read them all every time you throw them, because it's funny, right? <laughs> and a little nauseating. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so that's all the stuff we have at the table the last couple of weeks. Next up is our feature review, Rivet Wars. <laughs> and now for the feature review. All right, gentlemen, we have a mission in front of us. There's a devastating force coming down on us from that hill, and it turns out to be chibis. Little cute little chibis and little steampunk outfits and little steampunk wheels with their horses all armored up, and they're charging down the hill. So we got to get our guys together and head back up because we are playing some Rivet Wars. All right. So Rivet Wars is a tactical miniature game for two players. One side will play the Blight, and one side will play the Alliance. And this kind of has the feeling of World War I trench combat. It's a very simple entry-level miniatures game, and it's from Cool Mini or Not. And we had an opportunity to, to demo this game over at PAX East, and I enjoyed the game so much I picked it up. So let's talk a little bit about this game. So when you get this starter box for the game, you're going to have... And what's probably the most interesting part of the game is you're going to have these really unique, well-detailed miniatures. So each side has these different sculpts and actually different units. Um, there's a dragoon that's this, this large wheel um, with the character inside there holding a sword. Um, there's these, these tanks and there's um, artillery and there's smaller units. There's snipers, there's generals. And... I think the biggest part about this game, and we and we definitely have to talk about um, the detail that goes into these miniatures, is they're amazing. The quality, even you know, kind of the pun intended, the little rivets on the little miniatures is is mm. wonderful. And this game is really screaming for a painting because <laughs> yes. it just has such nice quality to it. Now, beyond the miniatures, which come in a basic gray and a basic green, which while you definitely want to paint these because they look so great, you could just play the game as is because the detail and quality is so unique and there's actually different sculpts with the different units. So, and, it's a, and sometimes it might be something minor as in the guy's holding the weapon up a little bit higher or he's tilted to the right, but it's really nice to see that additional detail so that all of the units feel at least somewhat different. Now the game itself is set up with modular boards. So you'll actually get these big squares that are further divided into these grids that are even further divided into these little sections. So for the small infantry units, they'll actually hold um, and claim one little square 
where the little uh, mechanical vehicles or the cavalry will actually take two squares and then the large massive pieces like the tanks will take up a whole grid which is four squares. Now this is important because depending on how your attacker attacks you, they actually have to attack certain squares in a certain order. Now the board matches up in such a way that you can kind of build any type of field that you want because some of the board pieces actually have trenches which gives your, your, your infantry an additional movement speed which is really nice in this game. There's also spots where you gain victory points. The game comes with a ton of different chits and tokens. So there are minefields and there's barbed wire and there's tank traps. So there's a lot of additional little um, obstructions to kind of make you um, think in different ways. So the, the rule book is really nice because it's beautifully illustrated. It goes through each section. The artwork is amazing. It just really matches the figures. It's something nice to look at. It's fun. It's kitty, but maybe not too kitty. It's masculine kitty, you know, kind of as far as, you know, having all those little rockets and kind of scars on the guys, these, you know, armored vehicles. And the game designers actually took a little bit of humor with this. So you will see a legally distinct Rambo or a legally distinct Sucker Punch character or a Rosie the Rivet character. And what's also interesting about this game is the larger tank vehicles can actually get additional characters such as generals or special units plugged into them. So now that the vehicle has some additional abilities to it. Now, this game has the feel of a Command and Colors, a Memoir 44, a mm. Battle Lore yeah. in a type of way, but it's a, a lot simplified as far as you're basically, you start with a certain number of points to deploy with, so each unit counts or has a certain cost, you deploy them to the field, then if you can, you attack, then afterwards you move your characters, and if for some reason you've now claimed a victory point spot, you will get victory points at the end of the turn. So if someone else is going after you, obviously this is a turn-based game, you have to wait until the end of the turn to see if you still held on to that spot. There's also secret mission cards which will score you, score you victory points, if you meet those certain conditions, there are action cards which you can play during the game that will give you special abilities to move. And what's interesting about the, the rulebook is at the back of the rulebook, it actually has a number of different scenarios to it. So you'll actually be able to play these different types of missions. Now, the units themselves, what's really interesting, and this kind of reminds me a little bit of Ogre when we were talking about this in a previous podcast, mm. is certain units gain an advantage over other units or have zero attack ability so an infantry unit is going to be able to do nothing event against a heavily armored tank but maybe a heavily armored tank is so powerful and its guns are so large it may not even be able to um target an infantry unit so each of the character units actually have different abilities versus different other units so when you look at the card it'll actually show you different armor classes and that's marked off by these little shields that either have a one, two, three, four, or five rivet points on there. And it will tell you what your attack number is for your, your character unit, and then, and then how many dice you'll be able to roll against that unit. So, um, for example, Captain Parman, he can roll three dice versus infantry, whereas against the, the heavy tanks, he rolls no dice. So it, it allows a little sense of strategy when you're deploying your units as far as 
how do I want to put my build together that's going to take care of his other units, but allow my infantry to be able to claim victory points? So it, it allows a, 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 a nice sense of different depth, depth and also allows us to kind of play with a number wide range of different people. So this is a really interesting game. Anthony and I had a chance to play, as I said, at PAX East, just the kind of demo version. And Daniel and Drew had an opportunity to play the full version with the action and mission cards. So let's let's get back and see what everyone thought about the game. How many quick, how many scenarios are there? Sorry to make you dig through that. Ten, Ten scenarios. Yep. So high high replayability factor to it anyway. Yes, and you can also play this. You can kind of make up your own scenarios and put together your own board. Anytime it's a modular board, you really kind of kind of can do whatever you want. Yeah, adaptable. Yeah. Um, I did like the uh, the miniatures. I thought it, it was some of them are difficult without painting to tell from from another. I don't yeah. think uh, the differentiated. Units. Yeah, um, different like that. But but this is a simpler game than Commanding Colors in a lot of ways. I think it's more for uh, the person who loves miniatures, who likes likes the kind of game, but loves miniatures even more. So you can have a lot of fun with that. So moving them around yeah <laughs> it's for me <laughs> and the, the little guys they're so adorable um they're like uh the minions from yeah. despicable, from despicable me. me yes that i got to thinking um i call them expendable me because they're because <laughs> <laughs> pretty much that's what you did with them they're right? expendable but they're cute hey there's a tank out there you go run out and shoot it <laughs> uh yeah this game is awesome um i had my eyes on it for a while uh store got a copy in maybe a month ago and Full retail is, it's a lot of money. So I, I kept seeing it and I kept wanting to take a look at it. But when they had it at PAX, we had a chance to play. Um, and it was everything I thought it would be in terms of, you know, mechanics. Like Drew said, like you said, um, you know, Command and Colors-ish, but not quite as complicated. Mm -hmm. There's not quite as many mechanics. a little more straightforward in terms of deployment and attacks. Turns move really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um you get action cards that that throw some variation in, make it interesting. Yeah, um, and so the, there's always some new twist. The secret missions kind of score victory points if you can meet them. I had a problem with secret missions, yeah. <laughs> and I know others have too. Um, secret missions, you're only allowed two at a time, and if they don't fit the scenario you're in, um, it can be counterproductive. Um, the two that I had were worked against what I was trying to accomplish. Uh, in the game, so it was a distraction. Uh, my opponent was able to use his, so I think a slight tweak in the rule where sure. you're dealt a certain number of mission, a certain number of yeah mission cards, like three, and then you can keep two of those, something like that. Give you a little chance to pick something that actually fits well, what with, you're trying to do. With the action cards, you could actually discard an action card and pick up a new one. Something along those lines could be done with the secret missions. Okay, because yeah. that would be a lot more helpful because. If you're going to get stuck with those two, you're waiting a long time to actually You'll be able to get never, there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they were all that hard to do, like if it was just impossible to do any of them, um, be one thing. But if somebody's able to put out, how many did you do? Four? I did four, yeah. yeah. At least. And I did none. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, but, and yet that's the, the game. But it was right close, there. though, right? What was it? Eight to, eight to seven, eight to six, or something like that? Well, that's because the the scenario was stacked in, in my favor. I had, I had fewer forces uh, through the run of the game, but I had a better chance at victory points. Sure. Um, and that was the scenario. He had more forces to try and beat mine down. And so what I had to do is use my forces, that, that advantage of, of, of uh, having more forces, to do every secret mission that came my way. Yeah, that's because it. that's where I got over half of the victory points that ended up winning me the game. 
Yeah. I had no real luck at actually doing the mission <laughs> itself. It was all just the secret missions. Yeah, so a little tweak there, but otherwise replayable. And what's interesting about the game is this is just the first set of what's going to be multiple expansions to this. This game originally came out on Kickstarter, and there was just a huge amount of different additional miniatures that were going to come mm -hmm. with the game. So if you did pick this up on Kickstarter, you're waiting for all these other kind of levels to come through. Yeah. One of the things that's going to be added is a blimp and a biplane. So you'll actually have flying vehicles. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be some sort of base kind of holding it down. Wow. But uh, <laughs> if you looked at the cards in the base set, um, you might have seen on the units there's a little cloud with a number, so only certain units could actually shoot at the you know the flying units. But this game definitely needs an additional level to it. So what I'd say, if if you like Ogre, if you love the miniatures uh, of all that, this is a good game for that. Um, if you love memoir, you probably won't like this. This is more of the ogreish crowd, uh, a simpler emphasis on. Uh, Miniatures, and especially if you love the movie Sucker Punch, get this game. <laughs> for, for me, it, it was a lot of fun to play. The miniatures were attractive. The rules are simple. Um, and and those of you who remember me being on two, week, two weeks ago will know I am suspicious of games that don't allow for more or less than two players. Um, mm. But this has kind of given me hope for that the, the there might be a place in my life for strictly two-player games in the future. <laughs> I'm going to go take another look at Heavy Steam now <laughs> and reconsider funding it. Um, so for me, this is, this is a very good game. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, for me, this game, 100% initial impression was like i like the miniatures before i even played it that's why i wanted it that's why i looked at it that's why i hovered around the cool mini or not booth at pax for two days <laughs> they would call security on us after a yeah. while <laughs> <laughs> um and we did review a couple months ago we reviewed battle lore second edition so and i'm not gonna say the games are alike but they do occupy that same space mm -hmm. two-player miniature combat games mm -hmm. that take a little less than an hour to play so it's hard for, and they're about the same price, so it's hard for me to say, you know, I like Rivet Wars. I, I think it's a good game, I think. But it's hard for me to find, like, that sweet spot of saying, should you buy it? What kind of person you are? At the I should price, buy it. At the price, that's... I'm trying to think of, like, who it's good for in terms of, like, a recommendation. It's a little harder, because... What is the price point on this, by the way? Uh, I believe it's $100. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> yeah, so it's it's pricey. Um, I've seen it for 90. I don't know what the actual MSRP is supposed to be. It's either 90 or 100. Online, it's 70. The sales have been down to 50-ish. And the, the, yeah, the sales have been down to 50-ish at some points, which makes you wonder if this is going to necessitate further expansions. I mean, obviously, expansions are coming out. So there was a, there was a concern amongst the board game geek community that why is this dropping so quick? It, it was just out on Kickstarter. It funded insane it was like a hundred times what they expected i think they were looking for twenty five thousand. they got i think i think it was about half a million dollars for this game after they were done with all the people jumping on so i don't know where this game is going as far as that's concerned but it definitely does have a lot of that feel as far as battle lore is concerned that you're setting out an army you're moving your units the units mm -hmm. are somewhat unique you have the same kind of action cards or the lore that goes into the game you have the special missions which are kind of close to the battle lore which is like you set up the board that's kind of connected to the special missions 
I think I I had the same thing with the other Battle Lore um, review is this game and Battle Lore needs an expansion to feel full to me because the base game are is both base games are great but they need something more for me to be confident about the repeal replayability especially with the cost so you you think it's better to wait until they have the extra pieces and the extra uh, before purchasing this i think so i mean especially since the the price did drop on this game recently it's something to maybe wait until the expansion comes out and maybe they'll be moving them a lot quicker okay yeah, so, so for me it's if you can find it at 50 dollars and there is a place in your life for two-player miniature combat games it's strongly leaning towards buy there right it's for me, it's it's definitely a play, yes. no matter where it is in the in the uh, spectrum of cost. And if you could get it for about fifty dollars, and you're in the kind of place where you tend to play a lot of two player games, and you think this is one of those that would do well for your group of friends, I would go for buy. Something just struck me. It seems like because there's so many of these uh, battle or command and colors and memoir, a lot of these two player combat games. What separates them is the theme. And it seems like that's what they're trying to appeal to. You love fantasy creatures, you got a game for you. You, you love World War II style combat, you got a game for you. You love steampunk, this is a game for you. So, you know, even if you're not strong on the, the game mechanic, if you love steampunk, this is a great way to explore, you know, to add that to your uh, cultural uh, cache. And I think that's the point what Daniel was talking about. A two-player miniature game, which is is which is the vast majority of miniatures games out there, is how much setup time do I want to put into? Like when I when I opened this game and I started unboxing everything, it took a good fifteen minutes to pull out all the miniatures to put to yeah. set up the board. It has a lot of moving pieces. It's easy to forget that you're supposed to be, that this has a special ability. This has a special action. That's also true about battle lore. But obviously, these games are nowhere. Nowhere as complicated and detailed and right. set up time as, right, as, right. as far as the true miniature games, which are just enormous. They look beautiful, but it just, I see these guys coming in with just like tons of metal and just kind of organizing and everything. Rulers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I agree with you, Daniel, that it's, it's a tough buy if you don't have a space for this kind of game. Um, yeah. Or if you already own another one that you play a lot. Yeah. I don't own Battle Lore 2nd Edition. If I did, I would definitely not buy this because I'm only going to play one or the other. Sure. Um, at this point, I have to decide which one I'd like more. For me, the painting-wise, um, and again, that's a lot of the times a decision-making factor for me with a miniature <laughs> game, is do I want to paint it? I would much rather paint this than Battle Lore 2nd Edition because these, these minis are so unique. They're bigger. They're chunkier. I think the price is fair for what they give you, honestly. It's a ton of money, but I think it's fair. I think it's a fair cost. It's important. Yeah, you know, the the bigger they are, bigger than yeah. some of the other games I played. Where there's a yeah, lot of plastic in the box. Yeah. yeah. The one downside, at least with with the base game, is that they didn't think about a storage solution. So I mean, everything's nicely packed when you open the box, but you kind of have to put it back into these really cheap plastic sheets mm. that kind of slide in. It really doesn't fit very well. The mini the miniatures does don't require like battle foam to kind of protect everything because they're really decent quality plastic. I think we dropped them a couple of times and they yeah, didn't snap they or anything up. like that. But at the same time, I don't want to have to go through this whole unpackaging and and they're just basically floating in this plastic. I really would have liked to see them actually build something to fit this, even if the box was slightly larger. 
because part of the setup and breakdown time is going to go into or subtract from the fun about this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree, but at the same time, Fantasy Flight just throws everything in a bag. So yeah. <laughs> they did better than that, at least. <laughs> they did better than not doing anything at all. Exactly, which is <laughs> just something credit. to say. Um, so overall, I think we all you know, have a general same feeling on this. It's strong play. It's a good game, but... Depends on the size of your pocketbook. Yeah. And, I, and I think, like yeah. Drew said, take a look at the, the graphics on this. Take a look, see if it's, if it's a theme that's really interesting for you. Because the game does mechanically play well enough that if you like the theme, you should pick up this game. I picked it up. I'm happy with it. I know I can get probably family members into it. Whereas, while I think Battle Lore 2nd Edition is probably a better game mechanically than this, I, I don't think there's a probably a discussion about that. At least as the mechanics feel a lot better, this probably plays with a lot more people. Just because it's a little more cutesy, but yet has a good amount of strategy and tactics to it. I wonder what, if Heavy Steam, I think it has actually been nearly, it's doing well, anyway. Uh, if Heavy Steam hits the market, it's actually kind of a similar niche, right? It's a two-player, miniature-based, steampunk, dis- uh, aesthetic, uh, tabletop miniature game, right? Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if there's going to be some sort of crowding there. Sure. Um, and because, I mean, if we were talking about things, if you like this aesthetic, if you like this kind of game, well, now the market's getting big enough where there's actually going to be multiple contenders for the title of best two-player, miniature-based, relatively simple tabletop miniature game. <laughs> well, we've seen, this, we've seen this with Attack Wing and, 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 and yeah. Star Wars X-Wing miniatures, which, mm-hmm. you know, miniature gamers were their own little universe and, and they just sat there and now... The companies are getting a little smart, and they're saying, "Hey, what if we give you this kind of flavor into it? But you don't—you can just dip your toe in, but you don't have to get completely wet. Like, hey, you can play Star Trek. You have one or two or three ships. You don't have to have four thousand ships like you would in other kind of miniature combats." Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting field, and it's going to keep growing, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's everything for this week. That is the uh, full review of Rivet Wars: Eastern Front. Um, you should check out our website and we'll probably post a few more pictures you can see everything that's actually going on in this box and uh what we're talking about with these ginormous miniatures so real quick before we leave uh, as always follow us on facebook and twitter you can find us on facebook uh, board gamers anonymous uh, twitter we are at bga podcast we're also on board game geek the board gamers anonymous guild and uh, boardgamersanonymous.com where you'll find this episode and much much more um that is everything for this week this is anthony this is chris this is daniel this is drew and until next time we'll save you a seat at the table all right now let's break out some ribbon wars theme music intro intro and outro